My name is Brian, and today is Thursday, June 22nd, 2023, and this is episode 441 of the Lots Project podcast, a daily look inside our journey to live outside the systems of control, and it's another lots to talk about, and I'm excited about this one. I got another nomad coming on. Uh, my guest today is nomadic carpenter traveling the country and finding plenty of work along the way. He grew up in western New York and pursued a degree in forest management, spent some time in Alaska working for the U.S. USDA Forest Service. I believe I got that. I misspelled it, but I think I got it right. Um, eventually hitting the road and not looking back. The plans have changed. The journey looks different, but he's still on the road. This should be a great chat. Here to chat about his life. I would like to welcome to lots to talk about Chris Jensen. How are we doing, man? Good. Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh, no problem. Uh, Kyle, Kyle, the backwoods butcher. Uh, I started interacting with him quite a bit and he came on the show and after he's like, man, you got to meet my buddy. You got to meet this guy. Um, he basically travels around and and uh, works as a carpenter. And I'm like, huh, I read a story about a guy like that once just travels around <laughs> as a carpenter. Um, but anyway, Chris, um, take two seconds, introduce yourself, man. Uh, and then let's, uh, let's dive back. Don't get too juicy into the details, but then we'll dive back and kind of, and, uh, go through what I, what I mentioned and how you got to being on the road and, and what you yeah. enjoy about it. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> uh, Chris Jensen, like you said, I'm from Western New York. Uh, I hit the road in 2019. So currently I've been on the road since March 28th of 2019, um, for this loop. I've been to all 50 States. Uh, nice almost twice and uh oh nice <laughs> yeah and uh we just i just trying to kind of find work along the way uh it's all it's kind of a friends and family tour really uh so i get to see see lots of people I haven't seen in the past you know that's, so uh that's kind of that's how fantastic, it, how that's fantastic. Out, yeah i uh i was reading that and um when you were talking about you, you haven't really advertised, you, you just kind of word of mouth and found jobs and kind of moved to the jobs. And um, when we were getting ready to launch, I, I kind of looked at that pattern. Like my wife is lucky enough to be able to work remotely. Um, and so that helps. But I was like, well, how am I going to find work? I've been more of a hard skills, hands on like you, carpentry um, right. and things like that. It's not stuff you can really do virtually. Uh, and it's just started to present itself when you talk to people, tell them what you're doing and you have that flexibility to move. It really makes it easier for you to say, yeah, I'll help you out with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I enjoy the work a whole lot more as well. Uh, you know, when it's, when it's people that, you know, and, and somebody that actually needs to have it done, like it's something, a lot of the stuff I do, uh, is like your everyday hassle stuff, the, the stuff that irritates you, the the doors that stick, uh, right. that don't close, the uh, new ceiling fans or or trim that's fallen off or cabinets that's not fixed or, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, the stuff that you, you deal with because you don't want to do it, but now I got somebody that's willing to come and do it. Right. Right. And then once you get started, obviously the list <laughs> just takes right off. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, sure. here. Would you mind? <laughs> 
Oh, anyway, so you started in Western New York as I did. Uh, we kind of went back and forth. I think you were about an hour from me, 40 minutes from where I grew up. Yeah. Um, and then you, you took off. Was uh, was Western New York not your ideal place to be? Uh, I left when I was in my early 20s. Uh, great place, great place to retire, I would say. Yeah, I always tell everybody that I met, I, I said it was a great, it's a great place to be from. Uh, <laughs> You know, I had an awesome childhood. I really loved the area I grew up. Uh, you know, I was there for 20, 21 years, but I always had the the urge to explore, it seemed like. So um, I wasn't, I didn't, didn't dislike the place. That's not why I left. It was more of what's around the next corner. Uh, I had a, uh, early on, I wanted to get into forestry. I figured that out in middle school, I think. I heard about the ranger school up in central northern New York. The Adirondack area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was pretty much my drive through high school was to go to that place. Oh, and wherever God. it took me from there, you know, my visions were somewhere out west fighting wildfires and sitting in that tower, you know, watching over the land to make sure nothing's burning. You know, that was kind of like a dream. Uh, nice. So that's kind of how it started. And uh, I went to the I mean, Adirondacks and that really. The how long is that program? It's a, it's a, it's called a one in one program. So you do one year, uh, in, in your prerequisites at a community college, and then you do a year there at the school. It's all very specialized. Um, they cram 55 credit hours into two semesters. Oh, okay. So it's a super heavy workload, uh, very focused and, uh, fast paced. You know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to be said for that, though. I think um, people that you see, you see the the acceleration of people that seem to try to jam college into three years, uh, like the normal four year programs. They're like, oh, I completed it in three years. A lot of the times you, you go, OK, well, this kid's really smart. Um, and that's how we did it. I think a lot of the times just that concentrated curriculum doesn't give you any time. It's like it's like working all the time and not spending any money. Like you're studying all the time. You don't have any distractions at that point. Right. So right. I think the heavy course loads like that are actually could be a benefit. Yeah, especially that place is really unique because it's so isolated, uh, you know, nestled right in the it's it's in Wanakino, New York. It's called the New York State Ranger School. Um, it's part of the SUNY ESF program out of Syracuse. Okay. Uh, which is a college of environmental science and forestry. Um, so this is a satellite branch of that, of that college, but they give their own associates degree. Uh, when I went through there, they could only hold, hold 60 students at a time. That's one class. There's only one class that goes through at any, any given time you're in there, you graduate, you're out and a new class comes through. Oh, nice. Uh, <clears throat> the town is really small. There's only 50 people there. Uh, <laughs> so there's nothing but school. You know, and it's so, so the town doubles every time classes and session. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And everybody knows everybody. They all end up knowing the students, and then they come through, and uh, you meet some lifelong friends, and it's just a really neat place. Nice. You have outdoors, and you have school, and that's it. So it's. Uh, I had a I had a guy on a couple of weeks ago that um, basically ended up through this and that, and job hopping, ended up on a uh, passenger ship. Uh, kind of a smaller cruise ship that would hold like 50, 60 people. But he was like, yeah, I, I attained so much knowledge because there was nothing else to do when you weren't working. You were like yeah. on a yeah. ship. Like, what are you going to do? He's like, so I just studied. 
I'm right. like, that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. perfect. It's, it's kind of that uh, that Zen model where those monks end up on the top of the mountains and there's no distractions from from learning yeah. and yeah. Uh, and and diving into things. So yeah. that's super cool. Yeah, that's super it's cool. A, it's a great program. It taught us a lot, uh, you know. And they and they told us when we left there that we we would have a, a different uh, attitude and work ethic than a lot of people in the industry, and it was something we would have to figure out how to work with. Uh, <laughs> because it was such a strict program. Um, the, the classes you'd start off and it's a, a succession basically. So this class leads into this class, which leads into this class. And ultimately you have a final project from all four or five of those two week classes that you went through, uh, like, uh, aerial photogrammetry, learning, learning aerial photos with the ultimate goal of building <clears throat> hand drawing a map of the entire school. That's accurate to, to the ground within, 90%. Uh, and that's so, all. So you're, you're doing that from aerial photography and transferring that over to what's yeah. actually there. Yep. yep. That's, that's pretty cool. And it has to be accurate and they, te they check you. So there's all this, there's like 15 classes that work out to make that map essentially in the end. All right. I got you. So you, you, you push, you put, you're piecing all those skill pieces and they all end up building on top of each other. I like it. I like it. Now, yeah. are these so this degree, this program you're going through, are you then in uh, general population when you go out and get a job? Are you with people that are just taking like um, not quite as advanced um, study that are yeah. just taking a normal like I want to be a conservation officer at uh, XYZ school? Um, right. Is that where they were talking? You're going to run into some people. This, yeah, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people go. So this is an associate's program so you only get an associate's degree not a bachelor's a lot of the uh to be an actual what they call forester you need to have a bachelor's minimum okay um but you can be a forestry tech is what the is what most of the government jobs are called as a forest tech so that puts you that that skill for us was very very much uh timber management forest management um so it puts you into that aspect. There is a survey aspect, land surveying aspect in that school also. Uh, but mine was more forest management. So that's for recreation and wildlife uh, trails, um, uh, as well as timber harvest, um, sugar bush management, all sorts of different opportunities to, to make the land thrive, I guess, and be able to use the timber and materials with everybody, you know. Do you still utilize that at all in, in this role? I, I think that's 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 probably something that could come in handy to these people as you're traveling around if they have some property. Or are you doing more um, vast, large-scale stuff when you were working on that? For the Forest Service, it was pretty large-scale. But when this, the school itself, um, it, it focused more on what you would consider a private land ownership. So we're going to go check out this 85 acres that this person owns and come up with a plan for them for the future um, so that they can have a nice population of, of deer and turkey and birds, but they still want to be able to take some timber off here and there and not destroy right. the place, you know, so kind of stuff right. like that. Once I got into the Forest Service, that went into uh, industrial size logging. Um, so you were, you were doing the same, you were kind of doing the same focus just on a, a huge scale now right. instead of, instead yeah. of somebody's back 40 or back hundred acres that they yeah. want to manage. Yeah. So the school, so gave us, 
<laughs> the fundamentals of all the information needed to be able to be a forester essentially on the ground <clears throat> we we set up our own timber sale we sold uh um we went and <clears throat> measured um estimated the volume put together a sale sold the timber to a local logging company they came and harvested it we cut the trees down they we skidded them out they actually just came all they did was pick them up with it off the landing with their truck so we did every every single aspect from start to finish oh, nice. for a full entire timber sale harvest for somebody essentially but it was on our own school property oh perfect perfect yeah. so do, they help, a, do they help fund the school that way what's that were they able to help fund the school a little bit that way Is yeah that, that does of... go back into the school yep we had we had this similar thing uh it was in high school shop class but they would do like a um they had one class that would do a full uh almost like tough shed build out but it would be you know it had the electrical and plumbing and everything it was basically a mini house and then they would sell that to fund the next year's build right. yep. and uh yeah great great little program but you um so you graduated there, you got your associate and you took off to Alaska. Was that yeah, right. uh, in the cards or was that yeah. something that kind of presented itself? That happened at the school. That wasn't in the cards. Uh, not, not before school. Anyways, I had, I'd thought about going West, but for some reason in my mind, Alaska seemed like another planet or another, you know, just untouchable for some reason. Uh, never really crossed my mind that that it was all, it was all ice and, you know, frozen land up there, not trees and logging and that kind of stuff. But when I got to the school, about halfway through the second semester, they start posting jobs. There's jo jobs posted on this bulletin board, but they really start filling up because the uh, a lot of the employers will start pushing their stuff out for seasonal employment coming out of the school so they can fill their seasonal jobs with a lot of these guys. Um so when they started posting that up, my roommate actually uh, saw the ad for uh, forestry techs in in south southeast Alaska on the Tongass National Forest, and that there was two guys that were previous ranger school students that were currently up there working. Uh, so we sat down over a couple of twelve packs of Labats, <laughs> and after that, we were pretty much sold that we were going to Alaska. Um, we were ready to go right then, but we still had, you know, a few months of school left to go. Uh, and then so once we talked to, so this talked is to a, a single, guys single guy at this point, you're a single guy in school. Yeah. And there, I mean, it's, it's gotta be a pretty, pretty good gig. They, I assume they, they house you or, or help you find housing. when you get up there? Is there, Oh man, that, that was, that turned out to be a fantastic. It was like, a, I considered that like a paid vacation, uh, paid exploration kind of deal. I loved the work that we were doing at school. I loved being outside. Um, I had the opportunity, you know, I had to buy my own plane ticket and my ferry, my transportation to get there basically. Uh, but essentially once I'm there, it's government housing. Um, so you pay a daily fee, it comes right out of your paycheck, but it's, it's minimal. It's like, I think it was like four or five bucks a day for, for housing cost. Um, so with that being right out of there, they, they pretty much just give you a place to work from, to, to go and explore, um, you know, the, so I wasn't really sure what we were getting into other than what the guy told us, but I had no idea what, 
what to expect or you know how was it was it like long like did you want to do anything else did you want to get out after your shifts or was it was it one of those grueling like uh, seven days on seven days off or what kind of schedule did they have you up there working uh so it it started off a little slow for us um to get us we were we got there a little early in the season or they hadn't quite got going yet um so we were doing a little more office and around the around town kind of work off the road system so it was kind of a just a a seven to four kind of day um just get kind of getting a feel for the place uh but then once it got going when we were doing large timber sales and we we're working out in the field, we did do a, an eight on and six off stretch okay. for, for two summers. Um, that's a pretty tough one, <laughs> but you know, your eight, 10 hour days, we're working in places that people have never even set foot before, um, getting dropped off by helicopters or flying in or driving in, in a boat and landing on shore with the boat. And then we have to hike, um, to wherever our, timber sale units are going to be located. So this is all pristine, untouched forest that we're the first ones in there. Are you there by yourself or are you, did you work in teams? Always with people on the ground with you for the most part, unless we're doing our small sale stuff on the road system. Uh, you right. could, you know, but pretty much you always had a second person. Uh, and at least and when, I assume survival, survival training kind of came into play with uh, getting yeah. dropped off in the middle of nowhere. Oh yeah. That was a, I mean, it was like a dream for me. It was something I always wanted to test my skills and challenge what, what I'd learned growing up. Um, and we got put right into it. It was awesome. Uh, did you ever have any opportunities to, to, to test those skills out? Did you have, did you run in any situations where you were like, Oh man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Alaska is, is no joke. Um, if you're not paying attention, it's not going to go well for That's, you for sure. You know, there's, there's a lot up there that, that can end you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a sure. lot, there's, there's things that are trying to end you. And then there's things that are just going to end you just because. Right. Yeah. Cause you have no idea what you're doing and you shouldn't be there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did you hang out in Alaska? It sounds like it, it was a pretty, a pretty sweet gig for you. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I, w I moved there uh, right out a week after college, and that was in uh, 1998. And then uh, I left there in June of 2006. Okay. So okay. Eight years. That's not much. bad. Yeah. So you were you were a grizzly veteran. Um, yeah. You were you were the guy that uh, they're like, this guy's been up here. He's never leaving. Uh, yeah. What what made you want to leave? Um. There was a few things, excuse me. I had the, uh, the, uh, I, at that point I had started traveling the country on my off time cause it was okay. a, a seasonal full-time seasonal, permanent seasonal position, they call it. So I work eight on and it's a, it's a, no, you work eight months on and four months off. Okay. Uh, because you're not log, you're not logging in the in the, in the winter time. time. Yeah, there's a lot of field work can't be done. Um, there is a lot of data that you have to compile. A lot of eventually, once I I got into all the systems of what everything's going on, I had worked throughout the winter if I wanted it. But I usually would take at least a month or two off. Um, it was four months or six months to start with. The first year was six months off, six on, six off. The first two years, and then I got hired on permanently. Um, 
so I had started hitting all the states. And at that point, I was I had come up with this idea that I wanted to get them all, you know, in a short amount of time. Uh, I think by the time I would turn 30, I had come into some conflict with the Forest Service, the government policy, uh, the fact that our hands were tied a lot of times to actually manage the forest correctly. And that was a huge waste of money uh, and kind of became a moral issue for me. You have principles. Weird. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, government. <laughs> There's lots of people up there that, that are felt the same way, but they they love the place so much and, and could just grit it grit and bear it, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still in my twenties at that point. Uh, uh, it's, imp so it's, it's impressive. I had the opportunity to do whatever I want. It's impressive. That you had the principles to give that up, that you enjoyed it so much. Well, not necessarily give it up for just that, but that you let that, you let yourself feel that. And instead of just ignoring it, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it, uh, it got to the point where I wasn't enjoying my job anymore because they wouldn't allow us to do what we, uh, we had a scientific base and, and a reason for doing things correctly. So we could manage this on a 200 year rotation and we could have timber forever, right. you know, and it wouldn't be destroyed and fish would be happy and wildlife and recreation. Everybody could work together. Uh, but every time the president changed and the, you know, who's running, leading the show changed the influence with the big money comes in and suddenly it's, it's an all stop or it's an all go or an all stop. And there's no, it doesn't make sense. It's whoever has the dollars to make the policy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. so, so you were traveling and you got kind of the travel bug. Um, and so you decided to take off. Was it just kind of a clean cut or did you phase it out? Did you have a big plan? Did, how did, how did it all go? How did you part ways? So I left the Forest Service um, in 2004. Uh, I waited till I was vested. So I was a permanent full-time employee. I put my three years in. So I have my rehire rights. Um, I want to make a couple smart moves and not just give up a possible career. Right. Uh, now, is that, is that transferable once it's with the Forest Service? Can that be, is it only that location or can it be anywhere? Can you- Anywhere, uh, yeah, anywhere. Anywhere in the Forest Service, yeah. I talked Actually, to a, a, a U.S. Fish and Wildlife guy, came out and did some um, stuff on the property I had in Minnesota. He was going to put in a um, wildlife manager, wild or a waterfowl um, system in, in one of my lowlands. And walking around talking to him, we didn't end up doing the project, but the hour and a half that I spent walking the property with him was phenomenal. This this guy uh, had had kind of done the circuit like gone to all the different yeah, areas yeah. of the country and hunted all over and i'm like my concern was oh these guys are gonna have me put this in and i won't be able to hunt it that's what i wanted to do was have ducks and uh he's like no we want you to hunt it we want yeah. you to manage it and right. uh, yeah it turned out we couldn't do the project but that hour and a half i had with that guy was just phenomenal just pointing left and right this that showing me everything about the property both um flora and fauna but also also like uh landform and different things like that it was just fascinating yeah yeah so that 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 the government allows that uh, i think it's even within the usda department of agriculture i think that i'm transferable my rehire rights are throughout that whole system which that's, that's cool. a, an insane amount of jobs uh but i'm only <laughs> i'm a forestry tech and that's kind of where my 
knowledge lays. So it kind of puts me into a category of certain positions. Uh, however, now that with the last from 06 to now I've been a carpenter. So that, that puts <laughs> me in a different realm also, I guess, but, uh, true, true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of got out of the government cause I just did, I wanted to try something different. And I think at that <clears throat> in 04, when I left the government, there was so much going on in Southeast Alaska. Logging was kind of slowing down, but the recreation and fishing industry seemed to be a possible point to take off. So I, I went into guiding, uh, uh, fly fishing guide and, uh, sea kayaking instructor and guide. Oh, nice. Uh, and I did were that. These, for, were these hobbies you picked up up there or is this stuff you had uh, interest in before? I've been, I've been fishing my whole life. Uh, fly fishing for sure was a passion my whole life. Uh, so I was absolutely in, in my favorite place in the world. I could be up there fly fishing for salmon in these awesome streams. Like right. couldn't beat it. Yeah. Um, it's easy. It's easy to pack a fly rod in when you're going out in the middle of where no one's been. Um, it isn't really hard to carry that with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can tie up a small fly pretty easily with minimal materials. So you don't right. need much. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. So that out of the foresters, I'm like, I wanted to do something that was going to be fun and, and exciting and interesting and uh, kind of fit the land a bit more in my hobbies. So that's what I, I went into the guiding. Um, that turned it, it was too soon. The, uh, the, the economy was there wasn't ready for it. We didn't have enough people to support it. So it didn't really work out. Um, then I got into doing, uh, it was a, a tender on, uh, some dive boats for, uh, harvest diving, uh, urchins, sea cucumbers and gooey ducks. Oh, nice. Big, big huge clams. Yeah. So I did some commercial fishing for a little bit, uh, which is, that's very exciting work for sure. Uh, yeah. Make, make some good money. Uh, but it's, it, you know, it's dangerous and it's cold. It's all winter time work. Uh, I still have a bunch of friends that do that stuff and it's, <clears throat> you know, they work hard for it. Was that the kind of the cycle, the guys that did the forestry that didn't have stuff to do in the, in the winter, if they didn't want to go travel, is that kind of a career path for them is going and, and doing the boat stuff that's, that's kind of primarily in the winter. Yeah, there were some forest service employees that would do that. Um, there was definitely a bunch of them that had left and and took that on as a career instead and gave up the government gig and just did their own thing. Um, yeah, it's, I think the I think the red tape and the and the dollar signs really shift that that motivation. Yeah, and once you're up there and you see that place, you realize that you really don't need as much as you need what you think you need or have down here, uh, you can live off the land and a lot, a lot different living or style of living, I guess, more of a subsistence living than, than you are down here, I guess. There's an opportunity in nature to provide stuff that you, that you need. Right. So you don't I, cash flow. Did you, um, did you really, did you want to leave? Did you want to take off and go? Or was it, it was a kind of a decision to, um, to kind of better or change or what was the catalyst to then get out of Alaska? Cause it sounds, it sounds pretty, uh, pretty, pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. There's, there are, it's, it's a cool place. It's awesome. Uh, but at, at some point you're that remote, you're missing a lot of stuff. Um, there's just like, a bowling alley movie theater 
some more people. <laughs> more, more people. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're you're living on an island with that's uh, the third largest island in the United States. It's 60 miles wide by 150 miles long. There's 5,000 people on that. <laughs> the big town of Craig had had a thousand, maybe 1,500 at the time. So you know everybody in town by face for sure. You know who's not from there and who's from there. Right. So that, that, that comes with its own pile of problems. Yeah. So the town gets pretty small after relationships don't work out. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And you, yeah. and that's one of those. If uh, if you're local, you definitely need to start asking around your uh, uh, who who are you and where'd right, you come right. from because I don't want to be hanging out with you if you're uh, yeah. you might be related. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a few things and then there was the interest of exploring more. Uh, I got into construction and then I had an opportunity, you know, I was, I was starting to get a little, uh, homesick for the lower 48, I guess, and the amenities of having a road that you can actually drive somewhere. Uh, I mean, we had a lot of roads on the Island, but you're on the Island. It's an Island life. It's a completely different thing. Right. You can only get off there with a, with a boat, it takes three hours to get to Ketchikan, and then it's another six hours, nine hours, nine hours down to Prince Rupert before you can actually drive on the mainland. Uh, so so it's you're, not you're a, looking at a, a half a day to get somewhere where you can actually drive on a road? Uh, it's actually be a full day because you're not likely that you'll be able to connect with that southbound ferry. So it's you might even be 24 plus hours to get to a point where you could drive mainland. Yeah. It, it sounds like it takes a lot of planning. Yeah, definitely. Yep. <clears throat> you can't just jump on and go. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we made that transition when we moved an hour away from like the nearest box store um, back when we moved to our farm. Uh, and we were like, holy shit. Now you're saying it's two days to go to um, hopefully a road that might end you at a at maybe some place to buy some supplies. Yeah. I mean, we could get over to Ketchikan. Ketchikan's the fourth or fifth largest city in in alaska it has fifteen thousand people so you've got a, the stuff you need there is a, there's most things there but it's a it's so it's a it's a temperate rainforest up there um you get 200 plus inches of rain a year <laughs> so you could you could you could do the math there's a lot of rain over every month yeah in the winter yeah. time it really rains uh, <laughs> so i think i would you know I, there was a lot of things kind of coming together that we're uh, peaking the interest to move on a little bit. Um, and then the opportunity came up. My real good friend up in Alaska, his high school buddy was in here in New Hampshire. Um, he had a, a siding exterior renovation and remodel company. Um, he wanted a partner to, to work with him. So that kind of all came together. I was in between jobs working on uh, a little, a small construction site up there, nothing big at the time. So I flew here to Boston, never met this guy. He picked me up at the airport and hung out here with him for a month, checking out what he did for work and checking the area out. That was in, uh, April of 2006. Okay. So I kind of, from where I, I had been, I grew up remote, you know, small town, Mm -hmm. went to school even more remote with fewer people and then moved 
to Alaska with even less people. <laughs> so when you landed I came, in Boston and went, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> I came here to Boston. I was like, holy crap, this is cool. There's everything here. There's people. There's, you know, the mountains weren't too far. I grew up bass fishing. Uh, so there was bass fishing again. You know, I mean, I was catching all the salmon I wanted, but it's a different it's different bass than are way different. Now. <laughs> that's, that's my that's my wife's uh, go-to she likes topwater bass fishing oh man there's nothing like it yeah so <laughs> i got and he was a huge fish huge into fishing here so we fished for the whole month and worked on houses and i was had i saw the opportunity where i could really learn a ton on a bunch of old houses and i wanted to know uh, my friend tim and i the one in alaska who referred me to this guy he, <clears throat> we at that point the buying housing and buy the, buy the houses and flip them. They're the you know, mm -hmm. flip houses kind of market was really starting to take off. Uh, so we're like, why shouldn't we be doing this? You know, he's got a, he kept his job as a forest service guy and like we, we could make this work. He had knowledge in building. I was getting knowledge in building. So that was kind of the idea. Uh, I just happened to move the furthest point in the country I could from Alaska. <laughs> Hey, let's make let's make this let's make it as difficult as possible right yeah so uh, that's kind of that was really what started it i i went for the month i'm like yeah i'm in let's do it so i flew back there and sold as much stuff as i could and then gave the rest of it away fit uh fit what i could in my single cab 1990 toyota pickup truck and we're, <laughs> we're in early 2000s right yeah 2006 perfect yeah <laughs> Single, yeah, it's a four Did you have the I, big beard? Did you? Have, oh yeah, yeah. Did you look like you were just out of the out of the backwoods of Alaska driving this old beater pickup truck? Yeah, I mean, my my most common uniform would have been my Carhartt overalls in a <laughs> in a hickory shirt, a logger, uh, long sleeve shirt. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I can, yeah. So you drove. You, you had to drive like across Canada, and, that, and I mean, you, or did you? Did you I actually ferry? I took Seattle. So in. Uh, in Southeast Alaska, there's a system called the Alaska Marine Highway, uh, and it's a state-run ferry system. It's kind of the taxi of Southeast Alaska, and there are ships that are 500 feet long that'll hold 200 cars. Um, they're enclosed, upper decks are all enclosed. So they run the whole inside passage all the way up from Anchorage all the way down to Seattle. Okay. Or not Seattle, but Bellingham, just north of Seattle. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can get on that in Ketchikan. So I I took my stuff over to Ketchikan, got the Alaska Marine Highway south and went to Bellingham. I shipped a pallet with my four-wheeler and all the stuff I could and shrink-wrapped it and shipped that on the barge. And that met me. I basically met it down there in Bellingham and grabbed a U-Haul trailer, <laughs> squeezed my four-wheeler. Yeah, I had a kayak on the roof of the truck, an 18-foot sea kayak that was totally chock full of stuff. Back of the truck was full. <laughs> you got to do it, man. Uh, we went from a 35-acre homestead into a 32-foot travel trailer and an F-250 with three yeah. St. Bernards. Um, yeah, I know yeah. about putting things where um, anywhere you can find to put things. <laughs> yeah. So that was a yeah that was a good that was a fun adventure. That was uh, you know I was pretty much. Like, here we go, pulled all my money out of uh, my thrift savings or my my retirement from the Forest Service and, and made the move, which it was expensive to do that for sure. Um, what was I, your feeling when, so I remember the day, so we took off last fall and we had had our house sale fall through. 
that we had had planned we were leaving after right when it went through like the day it closed we were gonna take off um that fell through and we didn't want to stay in minnesota again and winterize the trailer and have to wait till spring again to leave and so we made the call to take off without selling the house and i remember the day that um we had sent all the paperwork um and we did it remote from texas we had another buyer it all lined up and they signed the paperwork and i refreshed the bank account and i saw that it the check had cleared so the house it was all done like i have the money i don't give a shit anything could fall apart i already got the money in my account so it's it's essentially done on my side i got this feeling like holy shit i don't have anywhere to go i have my trailer but I don't have anywhere to go. And this is the first time in, you know, really, if you count apartments and everything, I've always had some place to live uh, that was kind of a home base. And at this point, I have a place to live. It's the trailer, but I have no place to park it unless I pay or I move. Um, it was equally terrifying and actually super exciting and very um it really dropped my stress level. And I think that was because it was all ending uh, the whole debacle of selling, but ha not having that, um, that anchor anymore really changed things. Yeah. Um, that's, it's a feeling you won't ever experience unless it's some, unless you do it. Uh, right. <laughs> and it's, a, I mean, it's, it's terrifying and exciting all at the same time. It's a whole roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. And people, people can kind of get the picture. Like if they're selling a house and buying a house and they don't have the new house when they buy it. They yeah. Sell that transition that juggle. But at least you, at least you have a plan like that. You're going to buy a house. We like, we sold and we're like, okay, what are we going to do now? Oh, well, right. let's, let's yeah. sit in Texas for a little while and then maybe go somewhere else, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That freedom is, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, not not knowing that you can be like, yeah, I don't want to do this and just go park back at your house is not having that back there is uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, can, it can be sketchy at times. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, shit. What? Oh, man, the trailer leaked. Let's just go roll and we'll stay in the house and we'll get it fixed. Like right. if you're our weekend RV or you're going on a long road trip. That's that shit's all possible. Like, yeah. yeah right like now, I'll have to deal with this for a couple of days and then I'll be home and it's not a big deal. Right. I'll park it and we'll get to it. It's not who cares. Whatever. Yeah. Right. But when you're living in it and that's all you got and you don't know where you're going next. I mean, right. having the RV is is huge, uh, for sure. I I have not towed an RV across the country yet. Um, we own one. It's in New York. We just we parked it there for the last couple of years. We haven't gone anywhere with it. Uh, everything has been uh, tent tent camping or in the truck. You know, I've been living pretty primitive style on the road for pretty much all of the stuff that I've done. Uh, but like the it. real, you know, the bike when I took <laughs> off in 2019 on the motorcycle. Um, I was loaded up on a KTM 1090 adventure bike with 150 pounds of crap <laughs> strapped to that thing. And I took off and it really, what you're talking about right now is huge. When the weather comes in, uh, you look at the forecast and you're literally looking five, 600 mile radius to you and you can't find a place that's going to be above freezing for the next four or five days or the winds coming or the weather and of any kind you like you're you're literally stuck and you have no no retreat you have no right. home base. you got nothing to nowhere to hide essentially yeah no no hole to crawl back into and wait it out <laughs> yeah yeah well that's yeah it's a it's pretty wild 
so you got back to Seattle. Did you go? Did you uh, did you head all the way to Boston, and or did you uh, did plans change? Yeah, so I uh, got my stuff there, loaded up, and and hit the road and started going across the northern part of the U.S. Um, my my younger brother was in Western New York where I grew up. Uh, he had been accepted to the um, Culinary Institute here in uh, I think it was in Durham. So he was he wanted to be a chef, so he was going to get his Le, Le Cordon Bleu license. Um, so I told him, I'm like, so it was kind of that kind of played into moving here. Also, he had an opportunity to leave home and and get something new and go see someplace different. Uh, and I saw the opportunity to help him in that as well as move myself. And I had not been to the New England states yet. So that would also take five more states off my bucket list. <laughs> right. right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Isn't that so, yeah, nice was, being able to help people? Um, like, I'm finding that right now. I got to hook up with somebody that's up in Canada that has 10 acres here in Tennessee. Well, they can only be here six months maximum. And, like, how much time can you actually spend away from your full-time businesses in Canada? Um, I'm kind of doing some work down here for him. But if I had been in Minnesota and he was like, hey, I got this property. You want to travel down and work on it? I'd be like, yeah, for a couple of weeks. Well, now I can just kind of sit put here and help right. him out. And if I need to move, I can move and come back. And it's really nice to be able to help people that way, be mobile yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. My and my brother's still here. You know, they, we moved here and and he's still here. Uh, my mom lives here now also. Nice. Um, nice. So, yeah. It was a, so it was you, interesting drive across. There was one, there was one uh, funny story uh, on the way. Um, so driving that 1990 Toyota pickup truck, five speed, four cylinder with a fully loaded, like my top speed might've been 55 on the downhill <laughs> with the wind at your back kind of deal. Going over the Rockies. <laughs> so I was on I-90 and uh, somewhere at Montana, I think, um, the speedometer cable started to squeal. It was making this little whistling sound. I eventually figured out it was, you know, after the first five, 800 miles of hearing this thing, like this squealing sound, uh, trying to figure out where it's coming from and then realizing that it's the speedometer cable probably, or in there somewhere. Another five, 800 miles later, I was literally couldn't take it anymore. Losing my freaking mind. Cause it was this high pitch, like absolutely driving me insane. You know, what am I going to, where am I going to go? in the middle of the afternoon in the middle of nowhere, who knows what kind of shops, who's going to fix this. So I pulled over into a rest area and proceeded to completely remove my dashboard <laughs> in the parking lot. Like I got all my tools out. I opened both doors and I literally dismantled the entire inside front end of the truck. <laughs> Did you find it? You find I got to, the, I got to it, got it disconnected, got my, uh, spray lubricant and hose that thing down, put it all back together. I'm like, that should do it. I should be good to go. Put a dash back together and took off down the road and it didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> it took another probably six or 800 miles before that whistle finally faded off, whether it wore through whatever it was hitting or the <laughs> lubricant finally made it all the way to the bottom end of that to where it cable. 
It was about 2,000 miles worth of this. Oh, man. Thing it. Oh, that's that, that's that rattling on the dash that uh, you get in those older vehicles where you hit a bump and all of a sudden it just starts rattling and you're like smacking the dash. Yeah, yeah, you're trying trying to to find the where is it coming from? Yeah. I can't imagine the high pitch whistle. We figured out that our, um, our side view mirrors, if you roll down the window just enough, it'll pull through the side view mirror and whistle up into the window. And we're just driving along like, and all of a sudden it dawns on you. <laughs> Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. I, I definitely feel your pain on the the 500 miles of searching for that oh, noise. That you just all you wanted to do is stop. Yeah, yeah, and you, like you couldn't turn the radio up loud enough. Like it was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So you get out to Boston um, and kind of and and jump in to uh, to doing the construction thing and learning more and and kind of building that. Are you still yeah. um, are you still kind of partners in that whole deal and, and kind of... nope that uh, um, that fell through within uh, within a year uh, a year and a half or so the guy um, we started off good but we just weren't he wasn't giving us the hours that we were needing he was uh, he was concerned more about fishing and um, it really came down to <clears throat> He was just, he was super fast at what he did. He's really good at his job, um, and what we were doing essentially was we we were doing enough, putting enough square worth of siding on to pay for us for the day. But we were so good at it and so fast that we were only getting five or six hours. We could do enough in five or six hours to pay for an eight-hour day. Right. But he was only paying us for six hours of work. Right. <laughs> So he's making the square money and we're getting the hourly rate. And then we'd go fishing somewhere or he'd pull the site apart and like, you can't stay there and work by yourself. So we ended up parting ways. Not, not very well. Um, but we, we worked through that eventually over the years. Uh, he changed a bit and, you know, we became, you know, friends again. Um, but it gave me opportunity to move into something different. Uh, and I ended up working with a company who we used to be subcontractors for. So we did the siding and roofing and windows and stuff for these guys. And then when I, when we parted ways and I did a little bit of other stuff, I came back to this guy that owned this company and, and asked if he had a job and he hired me on. And that's where I worked. Uh, I was with them for 10 years. Um, and 2018 is when I left that company. Uh, Lots of skills though. So that's, Oh man, that was huge. That was, uh, that was, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't pay for a better education. Honestly, it, we, we worked, I worked on one of the second oldest house in new England, 1643 oh, geez. <laughs> all the way up to brand new stuff. Uh, a lot of our stuff was the mid 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and you, so are we, you scoping like uh, spanning the whole spectrum of different kind of rehab or construction projects? Yeah. So this, this is a pretty high end living area. Uh, there's a lot of money on the seacoast up here. Um, Boston feeds that there's a lot of famous people that have houses up along the coast here. Um, so there's a lot of money. Uh, so people do whatever they want to with whatever structure is there. Um, there's really not a ton of hesitation, I guess, other than right. getting what, exactly what they want kind of deal. Um, so the, the, we would did everything from foundation repair to full brand new homes, but with the remodels of the new England homes, a lot of people like 
the look of it and want to keep that, but they want to modernize the inside. So one of the most popular thing to do was to make an open concept first floor and move all your bedrooms and stuff to the second floor. So you're taking a house from the 1800s that's got six rooms on the first floor and it's got, it's cut up like, you know, a checkerboard and you want to remove all the walls that support that entire second floor. Right. Yeah. That, that, so, uh, I, I remember all those old houses from Western New York too, as you walk into your friend's house and it's, Oh, we have the parlor, the game room, the three bedrooms, the kitchen and the living room all on the first floor. Right. And then you go and upstairs could, and there's like four huge bedrooms. Yeah. And they could, the, the, it was purpose behind it back when they built them because they could close all the doors for the places they weren't in at the yeah. time and they wouldn't have to heat the space, which is, you know, it's a great idea. And that they don't have to figure out how to free span these giant homes with all these dividing walls that support everything. Well, we had to figure out how to free span the homes. And that is, you know, we're end up, we're recessing beams up into these ceilings to make a full, you know, 30 by 60 foot open downstairs. Right. You know, we got a bathroom <laughs> and a couple little dividing walls, but. Which, which one of these are load bearing walls? Yes. All of them. Yeah. All of them, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's it was cool. It was a crazy work. When uh, I had I had some uh, uh, friends, dads that were construction guys, and they would always try to like teach us when we were kids, and like, okay, the load bearing walls, you're gonna look at the peak of the roof, and this and that, and then you'd walk into like this old house. Which ones are load bearing? Yes, all of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just all of them. Yeah. So, um, so you worked for there for ten years. You got a bunch of skills going, and you. Sorry, I lost you there. Paused for a second. Sorry, sorry, man. Um, Got you now. <laughs> so you're on you're on a crazy kind of adventure, but it, it spawns out of that um, that travel time you had uh, with the forestry service back to the beginning. Um, what are you doing now? You you left in 2008 and you took off and. What, what has gone on in the last four years or five years, I guess? Yeah. So in 18, when I left, I ended up uh, a divorce. Uh, we, we parted ways and split our stuff down the middle and, you know, it was amicable. We just, it didn't work out, you know, so we moved on and I, I, I saw the opportunity at that point that I really had, I could do anything I wanted to. I had, I was at that point again, where I was in my twenties, where I literally could just pick whatever it is I wanted to do. Um, so I, I thought really hard about that and uh, decided that I wanted to ride motorcycle open-ended, you know, without any end in sight or any definite plan other than just to go see places I'd always wanted to see. I had the money. I had the means. I bought a duplex in, in uh, Wisconsin for a good price. I, my buddy Tim, who was from Alaska, uh, he lives up in, in Wisconsin. He's like, this is a cool little town. So I went there and bought, bought a place. So I have a base. <clears throat> so I have that thing in my back pocket that I know is mine that I can get to. Um, and, uh, I hit the road with that motorcycle with just to go. That's um, fantastic. and once I, were you a motorcycle rider before this, uh, off-road more than anything. Uh, I had, I had a DR650 few years before that um i only put a couple thousand miles on the street on there so i had only been maybe 
four or five thousand miles on asphalt um so it was still pretty noob for sure <laughs> uh so that was it was it was terrifying actually with that <laughs> That bike is huge. It weighs 600 pounds, and I had 150 pounds of crap stacked up on top of it. Yeah. You could barely see me sitting in there, and I took off. I'm like, well, like, I was crying. I was laughing. I was like, what am I doing? Like, it was, there was still four feet of snow on the ground. Oh, no shit. Yeah, it was even (laughs) March 28th. Oh, man. Where where in Wisconsin were you? Rhinelander, northern Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely tell me uh, end of March, definitely before feet of snow on the ground. Um, cool. So oh, after man. six months of traveling around on the bike, everybody was hitting me up for to do work for them. Um, I didn't carry any tools with me, obviously, but there was two places that I stopped. I went to Alaska with the bike um, and stayed up there for two months and did a bunch of work up there with just borrowing other people's tools. Um, so I realized at that point, like, I could continue to do this if I grab my tools in my truck, put the bike in the trailer. Like there's no reason that I have to stop. Um, and that would allow me to keep going around and seeing all my friends and family and get work at the same time. Nice. So I headed back from Alaska on the bike. I was on my way back to Wisconsin then to grab my truck and trailer and set it, set it up to hit the road. And I just did a little stop over there for a couple weeks, outfitted the truck, put a rooftop tent on there, um, built uh, some stuff in the back, some slide out drawers and some storage areas and uh, hit the road again. And then I've just been doing loops around the country essentially since then. Um, (laughs) Wintered over in Florida the first winter. uh, And then the last couple winters have been in California. that's great. So, so you're five years going on just over five years. Yeah. 2018, uh, March, 2018 to, to now. Yeah. Or 2019, any, sorry, March, 2019. Oh, four years. Any, any, any plans to change? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I met, uh, my girlfriend in 2020 in Southern California, California down in uh, Bombay beach, totally random on a new year's New Year's Eve, meeting up with some nomads that I had met earlier for Halloween party, which they were new. I'd never met them before. I just went to this gathering and met some super cool people. And then they were like, hey, we're we're down here in Bombay Beach. Come check it out. We got a spot to park for the for the couple days. So I met her there um, and we hit it off. And we ended up uh, she is a school teacher from north northern california area and her job was coming to an end um so she decided to do the same thing and and pack all of her stuff into a small storage unit and try to figure out how to live out of a truck Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, so she hit the road with me and and now that we've been around two loops around the country um together we're looking at uh a, a base camp for us somewhere um Somewhere where we have a spot that we can set our stuff up and not have it scattered quite all around the country. <laughs> yeah, our uh, our we've kind of developed. We weren't sure what we wanted to do. Um, our whole journey really was to get out of Minnesota and get away from that weather all year round and be able to homestead eventually somewhere more conducive to doing that. Um, and we were just going to go to Idaho and buy some raw land and and kind of start again in like the banana belt 
we were like, why the hell are we going there? Neither of us have ever been there. Why don't we travel around? Uh, but I think as we hit the road, we're realizing that um, maybe that one, even if it's even if it's a, a undeveloped property, that one piece of land, and I know it's in the middle of Tennessee, so I know it's going to cost me X amount of dollars to get there. If shit goes completely sideways, if I have four thousand dollars, I can make it there and buy a tent and this and to to just to, to sack out um, right. if everything goes shitty. Uh, and I think that's what we're driving at right now is, and then adding those on along the way. Like, yeah, yeah. That was little spot here. Here's our little spot here. It's funny that you say that. It, it, I mean, I think, I think it's a pretty common idea amongst the people, the nomads, uh, that, that thought crossed my mind the first year I was on the road when I was down in Florida and hanging out with all these nomad people that I'd met at this tiny house show festival that uh so I, they we went to this tiny house festival i was invited and mine is a rooftop tent and a trailer and a motorcycle and they're in buses and converted vans and all this other stuff you know uh everything can be a tiny house you know right um so i started looking and i that winter i bought a raw piece of property in uh, new mexico um i was on landflip.com i'm like how cheap how inexpensive of a piece of property can i find um, and how inexpensive can I make a sustainable living house dwelling on that piece? Uh, and in searching, I found these half acre lots for 280 bucks a piece. What? <laughs> half acres. So I, for under a thousand bucks, I bought, I bought two of them right next to each other. So I have an acre for under a grand that includes paying the back taxes that were on it. <laughs> What so is, I mean, what, 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 what are we talking though? Are we just like a piece of sand or? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, there's no trees on it. You know, there, there's a barbed wire fence along the backside of it where this other adjoining ranch is, and, but there's a road frontage. It's got, uh, um, it's not paved, it's dirt road. And I'm away from it. I picked it on purpose away from everybody, but it's accessible. I'm a, right. I'm like 45 minutes South of Albuquerque, maybe 50 minutes driving. So it's not far. And I'm, just east of the, the small town, Berlin, uh, right off I-25, like maybe six miles out into the valley. Uh, so it's not far. That's got Walmart Supercenter and a couple hardware stores and everything you would need. So it's a little bit remote, but it's um, not too far out. And it was cheap, man. It was super cheap. So I couldn't really. Oh, my God. That. Um, That's and that, so I have the house in Wisconsin and I have that piece of property. Um, and we're thinking, you know. We don't same idea. We don't know anybody in New Mexico. It's not close to any of our relatives, so uh, it doesn't really suit suit the right spot, I guess. So it was under a thousand dollars, though. <laughs> right? No, I'm not getting rid of it. We're going to do something <laughs> with it for sure. Uh, but whether we park it there for a little bit now, or you know, we had an we got offered an opportunity to stay on this ranch up in California and work. I can work there on the ranch, and she's got a ton of work for me. Um, <clears throat> She's got 600 acres, the place for us to park water and everything. So, uh, uh, I think that might be the, the direction we're headed for a little nice. bit. Uh, nice. And then to keep, you know, we still have time to opportunity to, to travel around with that kind of setup. If you're, uh, if you're in New Hampshire and you end up 
heading towards California, we'll definitely have to keep in touch and uh, and cross paths because we're going to be we're we're kind of moving back and forth across the middle of the country. And if you're going from one coast to the next, I'm sure we'll be able to hook up at some point across. Oh there. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, we're all over the place. It's never a straight line. Um, <laughs> this time we. We had three weeks. We did uh, 4,300 miles. We spent four days in Moab. We went down through uh, New Mexico, went to the Four Corners, Monument Valley. We came the longest nice. part you could to get across Oklahoma, um, across Arkansas. <laughs> we went to Lexington. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you're right. We uh, you were right in our neck of the woods. We're uh, So we're yeah. in south. We're in southwest Tennessee right now by the Tennessee River, kind of like in that whole Mississippi Shiloh Civil War. Basin. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, Wish I would have known you sooner. We probably drove right by you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're, we just booked our July trip. We're going to head up and get residency in South Dakota um, for the rest of our kind of short term nomad and then decide things after. But we're doing 20 days like just over 3000 miles and uh, a couple of four or five day stretches where she's got to sit down to work for a couple of days. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, it turned into less of a travel every week to travel for uh, three or four weeks and then sit down. We found some really nice places where we um, super affordable, where we can set our trailer. We have, we can plug in, we have water, we can kind of regroup um, and plan that next, that next loop and uh with my friend's property being so close and this property being perfect to sit down on that we found i think that kind of spurred that uh that hub and spoke kind of model where hey tennessee's right in the goddamn middle of the country i can sit down here and kind of reach out to anywhere like, yeah it's a beautiful place too yeah yeah for sure yeah. yeah and if we need to overwinter here and that was the thing like where can we go that's the easiest to make it through the winter and make it through the summer right, right. if we have to because yeah. i want to move with the weather like chase that 70 degrees but yeah. if i if i have to hunker down and the trailer breaks down or the truck blows up or something like that and it happens to be going into winter can i make it through a tennessee winter with a wood stove and a trailer absolutely sure. absolutely yeah. um yeah. stuff like that and yeah. uh then kind of hit those outlier properties that are going to be a seasonal use like right. i'm not spending the winter in montana in a trailer i no. know you can do it i know you can do it i don't have to <laughs> right or want to yeah or yeah. want to no yeah. i don't i don't want to i've shoveled um, enough snow in my life i don't want to shovel any more snow for now so that's kind of why you know we're i avoid wisconsin <laughs> for yeah, six months of the year <laughs> between between western new york and minnesota um the first 45 years of my life was snow and cold i don't need it anymore yeah, texas yeah. texas winter this winter was like i went huh I get why all these people retire and go to the South in the winter. <laughs> My body felt so much better in January than yeah. February than it did in Minnesota. I was just like, huh, I don't hurt. I'm not frozen for the last two months. This is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so you're, you're kind of, you're kind of doing the hop around and work for friends and family. Uh, and kind of uh, roll that out into some different properties and stuff. Is, is that the big plans kind of kind of going as it goes for the next uh, little time or uh, that, yeah that, yeah that's, I what, love that's it. 
we're uh, not totally ready to stop uh, at this point. Um, it's we're kind of trying to figure out where we like the most to really put in some roots. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if we can make a couple spots that that work for the year, like you're kind of talking, um, then I think that's a we want to you know just invest something for the future for ourselves together. Um, uh, but at the same time, keep this kind of feeling of not stuck in one spot kind of deal. Um, if we want to go, we can go. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, that, that's the biggest part of our plan is I don't want to set up any infrastructure or things that I'm doing that I can't walk away from and let it sit for six months and come back to it. Right. Like, so, uh, whether that means I need to find someone to take care of it for me, or I just don't do like a livestock that I have to take care of. I can just pick up and leave. Um, those have to be worked in because I love the, like you said, the freedom to say, I can stay here, but if I want to go, I can. Yeah. It, it's a tough, at this point, it's tough because it, <clears throat> I'm missing some things that I, that I had at the house uh, when I had a house, you know, the garden, especially uh, mm-hmm. fresh, fresh vegetables, growing my own stuff, you know, uh, a workshop. You know, eventually I'd like to not be a carpenter. You know, it's not, I don't necessarily like doing decks and all that stuff anymore. Back breaking work. I enjoy that, you know, the outcome of it and the ability to do it, but um, it's hard work. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice to do something a little less physical demanding, I guess. Um, but at the same time, I really enjoy being able to help out uh, these people that I'm working for because they literally, everybody says the same thing everywhere I go. We can't find anybody to even give us a quote, let alone do the work. And the quotes, then they're like, we're eight, 10 months out, maybe a year before they can even start something. And it's even simple things like fixing a leaking window or something like that. So people are literally stuck with broken stuff that nobody is available to fix for them. So, I mean, you could, you could do a stroke of business down here. You don't know how many driveways I drive by on um, undeveloped land and there's a driveway and there's a half a started house and nothing else. Right. One after another, after another, after another, you could sell You could tell they sold them all up when everybody was grabbing overpriced land here and you know everybody bought the bought the land and didn't realize there was no one here to build the houses right and they couldn't do it themselves or didn't have the there's no material and that's the other thing is that you know you got the supply chain stuff going on but then you also have that lack of knowledge and labor to get it done right yeah yeah it's crazy like it it just blows me away how much opportunity there is you literally can pick any job in in the country right now any profession And there's you want to be an apprentice and take a year, you can definitely yeah. do a stroke of business. You want to learn something learn. new, I mean, it's there. Yeah, it's they're going to put wild. you to work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then if you actually have a good work ethic, good luck leaving. They're not going to let you go. <laughs> what, what do you need to stay? What do you need to stay? Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, man, we're uh, we're pushing up over here an hour. I asked you for an hour this morning. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I have links for a couple of Instagram accounts in the video notes. Uh, is that kind of where you kind of put your stuff out if somebody wants? Yeah, to mostly it's with mostly uh, KJ Redbeard one Instagram. The other one is the Wander Us three. Uh, you're saying that link didn't work, but that's that's the other Instagram. Uh, it should be linked on my KJ Redbeard one. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll look just, it up. That's just a. Uh, 
uh, Jess and I and our dog. Uh, that's our page that we kind of post on. But mostly, yeah, uh, Border Collie. My wife's my wife's a dog guy. We got three Saint Bernards in the trailer with us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I encourage everybody to check out the the links in the in the description and follow along. Um, One of the things to do is uh, let uh, my guests kind of leave on their uh, with their own what they want to say. I kind of give you the floor if there's a message you want to send out to listeners um, or just. Anything you got going up or just thanks for being here. It, it's all up to you. Take uh, take however long you want and uh, we'll wrap up after that. Right on. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Uh, to, to anybody out there, really, uh, you know, don't uh, don't just think about it. Actually do it. Um, there's no reason. I mean, you can come up with a million reasons why not to go do something. Uh, you should just do it. Get over the fear. The fear is part of the whole thing. Embrace that and you're going to learn so much there's so many good people out there even in the world that it looks like in the news that it's terrible uh the people that we meet on the road are really the 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 highlight of the whole thing and really what makes it worth it i guess um the places are awesome but you meet some really cool people put yourself out there get away from the highway corridors get on the in between side roads small towns supports a local business that's what i say No, you paused up. Lost you. There you go. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Cool. <laughs> you did. You uh, you must not have. You must have ran out of uh, ran out of things to say while I was. I was like, oh, just keep going for another minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, man, I really, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. I love talking to other nomads, and uh, what what you were saying before before I blipped out there uh, is definitely spot on about the people, the people you meet. Um, I was very bitter about the world for a long time and how horrible the world's going. But since I've been on the road and interacting in the nomad community um, and my communities, the TSP, the the kind of get shit done survivalist communities, there's a shitload of good people out there. Um, and don't don't let the, the spoiled barrel let you not realize that there are a bunch of great people to find in yeah, uh, sure. in your travels. Yeah, I'm, I'm on all sides too. Don't don't uh, don't be don't be fooled by somebody that may not think the same way as you. There's still good people there. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I uh, I appreciate you coming on and chatting. Uh, sorry about yeah. the internet issues, and uh, but no worries. I appreciate audience. it. It was good good talking to you for sure. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, yeah, we will. We'll definitely keep on keep in touch offline in our travel paths and stuff like that. Um, if you'll hang out for just a second, I'm going to drop you off and close up the show, and I'll, I'll talk to you for a second when we're done. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Chris, for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm, and I'm just going to blip out here on my own, too. Uh, check out those Instagram, KJ Redbeard. The link is in the in the video description. I'm going to get that other link all uh, all working and uh, get that up there, too, if you want to follow their joint account with him and, uh, and his beautiful girl and the dog and uh, follow along. So I really appreciate Chris coming on. And if you enjoy, please consider sharing it with others. You can find it at thelotsproject.com or on Noster, Telegram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Rumble, and Instagram. Be sure to listen on one of your favorite podcast 2.0 value for value podcast players like Podverse or Fountain.fm. Make it a great evening, guys, and we will catch up with you next time.